Wow, what a powerful Sunday. He has risen, friends. He has risen indeed. What, what an incredible privilege to share with you today. It really is. My heart has been bursting with excitement just to be able to rave about Jesus. And I'm going to get there, but I want to start at this thing that I was thinking about when I was thinking about Jesus. I was thinking about how in sports, we have this saying that we call somebody that's the best at what they do. Does anybody know what that little, that little saying is? The goat. We call them the goat. The greatest of all time. We do this across all sports, right? Whether it's basketball, is it LeBron James, is it Michael Jordan? Football, is it Peyton Manning, is it Tom Brady? Tom Brady, okay, see, like, you guys are pretty passionate about who you think is the greatest. What about hockey? Is it Gretzky? Is it Gordie Howe? What about Connor McDavid? Right, okay, more, more chirps about who's the greatest. But you see, we do this across sports. We always look for who is the best, who is the greatest, who is the one. But we actually do this across humanity as well. We look for the most significant person. So go across history. Who could it be? Would it be a conqueror? like Genghis Khan? Would it be Alexander the Great? Would it be a hero, maybe like Mother Teresa? When we look across history, or would it be, you know, would it be an explorer like Magellan? Or, or maybe today it would be Elon Musk with the mind that that guy has. Who would we name? A historian said this, not a believer. This was his opinion on the matter. He said, I am a historian, H.G. Wells, writes this, I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history, that Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Jesus is the greatest of all time. And even unbelievers cannot run from the fact that he is the greatest of all time. He is the one and only. Nobody compares to Jesus, the goat, the greatest of all time. Let's read in Colossians 1.15.20. I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation because the way the words jump off the page and describe him are amazing. It says this in verse 15, that he is the divine portrait the true likeness of the invisible God, the firstborn heir of all creation. For in him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth. All that is seen and all that is unseen, every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it all exists through him and for his purpose. He exists before anything was made and now everything finds completion in him. He is the head of his body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all the fullness dwelling, all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of the cross, Everything in heaven and earth is brought back to him, back to the original intent, restored to innocence again. Amen? 
So here, we are not just here to celebrate the greatest of all time, but we are here to celebrate the God of all time. He is the God of all time, and everyone pales in comparison. Everyone in history, no matter what our nationality is, we are all looking for the, for the connection to God. We are all looking for a way to God. We want to be connected to our Creator. As His created, it's actually written in our DNA. We are designed to long for connection with our Creator. But He is the only one. He is the name that is above every name, and His name is Jesus. No one compares, no other religion, no other spiritual person, no one comes close to this Jesus. There is only one name, and his name is Jesus. And why is that? What sets Jesus apart? Why is he the one? You know, he told us this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, and no one can come to the Father no one can connect to God, our Creator, except through Him. That's what Jesus said. But how could He claim this? How could He say this? Why is He the only one? Why is He the only way? As I was preparing and thinking about this morning, I came up with five things that I see that stand out, that point to Him as the one and only. The first thing for us is that He was there from the beginning. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Let us is plural. More than one. And this is where our belief in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit begins. Right in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, we see that Jesus is there. We see Scripture affirm this as, as we read in John 1.1, where it says, the Bible, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In John 1.14, it goes on to explain this, and it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the, uh, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is the Word, and he was there right at the beginning. Why else is Jesus the greatest of all time and the God of all time? Well, the next point for us is that he became flesh. He was there in the beginning, and he became flesh. As we just looked at in Colossians, in 1.15 it says that he is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. In 19 in Colossians, it says, For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. In Philippians 2.6, it says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He was born into this world. He was born in the likeness of men. You and I are made in his image. He came first. But it was real flesh and blood. In so doing, the word tells us that he fulfilled a number of prophecies that this would be the case. Nobody else did that in history. It says in Genesis 3.15 that he was born of a woman. In Micah 5.2 that he was born in Bethlehem. 
in Isaiah 7.14 that he was born of a virgin. And in Isaiah 7.14, it also says that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is our Jesus. I'm going to keep raving if that's okay with you. Why else can he claim this? He was crucified. We put a cross up. We spent some time on Friday acknowledging that Jesus was crucified. In Philippians 2.8, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, why did that have to happen? Why the cross? Why did he have to die? Most of us should know this. If we're a believer, it's because of sin. We know that God has given us free will. Free will and freedom come from God and God alone. And if you don't know, now you know. It comes from him. And this creator of heaven and earth gave us that free will because he wanted genuine relationship with you and I. And as we read through the Bible, we learn that sin entered through one man. It started with Adam, but sin was taken out on the cross. The power of sin was overcome through one man, Jesus. Nobody else, no other name. But you know, sin wasn't just Adam's fault. The word tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we need a Savior. Amen? We need a Savior. We know that sin separates us from God. This holy and righteous and almighty God is distance with us when we're in sin. And God wasn't happy with that. He wanted to restore us to close and personal and intimate relationship. That's why Jesus had to come. But a sacrifice had to be paid. Our sin needed to be toned for. How was he going to clean up this mess of sin that separated us from him? He sent his son to live in the flesh like you and I, to be tempted in every way, to overcome sin, to take it to the cross, and to die as that ultimate lamb, that sacrifice for you and I. Amen? In 1 Peter 2.24, it says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and to live right and to, and, and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. As we started with in Colossians 1.20, it says, And by the blood of the cross, we sang about this, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. You see, death on the cross brought our freedom, or it bought our freedom from bondage and from sin. And he, it brought us back into that close and intimate relationship with Jesus. I was thinking about in Hebrews, there's a scripture in Hebrews 12, and it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I read it in the Amplified, and it says that he's motivated out of joy to accomplish the goal set before him. The goal was restored relationship. The goal was our sin bought and paid for. It says that he endured the cross. I honestly would say that none of us have a really good understanding of what the cross resembles because we don't crucify people anymore. The Romans invented crucifixion literally to be the most painful way for someone to die. The most painful. 
And it says that he endured the cross. He chose the cross. You know, Jesus could have come off that cross and dealt with his crucifiers in one swift, quick blow. (laughs) This star-breathing, almighty, all-powerful God could do that. But he didn't. The word says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And you know what that tells me? It tells me that you and I were worth it. It tells me that you were worth it. That whatever sin he took to the cross for you was worth it. We needed salvation, and it was worth it. And for all the things that people put on this cross, you might look at the cross right now and you might see that there's little pieces of paper on it. On Friday, people took a moment and they reflected on what Jesus had done. They wrote a few things down and they put it on the cross. So for these things, and I'm going to read some, it was worth it. And Jesus overcame. Fear, bitterness, self-confidence and doubt. Addiction, lust, lies, pride. This one says, To whoever is struggling with lust, self-hatred, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts, you're not alone. You're forgiven. There is no sin that God cannot pay the price for. It's done. It is finished. Amen? That is worth celebrating this morning. bought and paid for on the cross. And he did it for you and I. And he fulfilled a significant number of prophecies that that was going to happen. In Isaiah 53, 12, it says that the Messiah would be crucified with criminals. Looking way into the future, this was written that early on. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, it says that he would be spat on and struck. Well, that happened. In Psalm 22:16 and Zechariah 12:10 it says that his hands and his feet would be pierced and that happened. But you know the most incredible thing for us this morning is that Jesus ain't on the cross. Jesus ain't in the tomb. Jesus is alive forevermore. He has risen. Amen. So why is Jesus the greatest of all time? Why is he the God of all time? Why is he set apart as the one and only? Because he rose again, friends. On the third day, he rose again. Let's read it. Let's read in, the, in, in Luke, the book of Luke. We've been going through Luke. And in Luke 24, on the account of his resurrection, it says this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words and they returned from the tomb and they told all these things 
to the 11 to all of the rest. This one little statement has to be one of my favorite in Scripture. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And he has risen. The Word tells us that death could not keep him. Death could not hold him. He came from death to life. Amen? You see, Jesus didn't just rise in spirit form. It wasn't just the ghost of Jesus. It was the flesh and blood of Jesus. People saw him. They touched him. They hugged him. Thomas put his fingers in the holes in his hands because he didn't believe. It was real flesh and blood. We see Paul write a bit of an account of the number of people that saw Jesus resurrected in the flesh. He says it in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, it goes on to say, though some have fallen asleep. You see, our faith as Christians in the resurrection of Jesus is in the complete resurrection in Jesus, that he resurrected in the flesh. You know, of the disciples of Jesus, 10 of them died as martyrs. If Jesus hadn't resurrected in the flesh, do you think they would have been willing to die for a lie? People don't die for a lie, but they die for truth. Ten of them were martyred for the truth that Jesus resurrected, that he was alive in the flesh. Why is that truth so important for us? Why is it so significant that we believe in the complete resurrection in Jesus? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, in the Amplified, it says this, that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and powerless, mere delusion, and you are still in your sins and under the control and penalty of sin. We could say it this way, that the cross without the resurrection would have no power. But the cross with resurrection, gave Jesus all power and all authority. All power and authority. Jesus told us this in Matthew 28, after he resurrected, and he's talking to the disciples, and he's getting ready to send them out on a mission. And he says, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This means that resurrection gave Jesus the power, and the authority to save. This is how we know that our sins have been bought and paid for because of the resurrection of Jesus. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, in his resurrection, we get to share in his victory. He gives us hope and life and a future for the here and now. And ultimately, we have eternal life in him. We have eternal life in him.
And that is forever, friends, because of what he accomplished on the cross, followed by resurrection. And this is a free gift to anyone. All we must do is simply believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus and choose him as Lord and Savior. That's it. So why is he the God of all time and all of this? What sets him apart from every other religion that's trying to find atonement for sin and connect us to God? No other religion has an empty tomb. And no other religion has the power of the cross. Every other religion teaches us that we have to earn our way to God. But in Christianity, we simply believe and we choose him as Lord and Savior. It's not about us as Christians. It is all about him. It is all about him. And he chose you. He went to the cross for you. And he rose again for you. God is a God of the individual. He knows you. He created you. He knows your innermost being. There is no one like you. And he went to the cross for you. So if you think for just one moment that he's forgot about you, that your sin is too big, that your mistakes and the error of your ways is just separating you and you can never get close to God, let me tell you, you are denying the cross, the power that it has. Because Jesus said that he has all authority and all power. Nothing can separate you from the love of this God. Nothing. My last point for us today what makes Jesus the greatest of all time? He is coming back again. We know that after resurrection, that Jesus rose to the heavens. He spent some time with the disciples. He sent them on mission. He rose, and it says that he is now seated, alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. And one day he will return. In Hebrews 9.28 it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He is coming back again. And he is coming in all power and glory. I was thinking about some contrasts here. Jesus came as a baby, but he is coming as a king. When he came the first time, he came as the sacrificial lamb. When he comes again, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came in weakness, but when he comes again, he is coming in strength. He came riding on a donkey to bring peace. When he comes again, he is riding on a horse with all glory and all power and all authority with him. When he came the first time, he came to die. When he comes again, even the dead will rise. When he came the first time, the world barely noticed. But when he comes again, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and everyone will know 
that he is the Lord God Almighty, the one and only, the great I am, the El Shaddai, the King of Kings, the mighty and all-powerful and sovereign God. And every, everyone will know. There will no longer be a question of who is the greatest. It will be affirmed. It will be complete. Jesus is coming again. And until then, we get to take this powerful message of the gospel. And we get to share this around the world. And we get to tell this to others. I want to invite the worship team up. There's just a couple things that I think are fantastic and important responses when we look at Jesus. And when we get to worship in a minute here, I think I wanted to invite you into a couple different ways here. The first one is that if in hearing this and you think about what we did on the cross was meaningful, and you're thinking about what did Jesus take to the cross for you, and you want to write that down, right up front here there's a piece of paper and there's a pencil. Take a moment, write something on that and pin it on the cross. If you want to take a moment, and you missed us on Friday maybe, and you want to take of the elements, the body and the wine, don't worry, it's juice, but in remembrance of his body and his blood that was shed for us, we have them up front here if you want to do that. And I would say most importantly, if you do not know this Jesus, if you do not know this Jesus, please, can I introduce you to him? Please come up front. All it requires of us is belief in him and choosing him as Lord and as Savior. Amen?